Such a good day to be in God's house, hearing God's word, and learning more about our God. We are continuing in our worship series, an interesting series where we are learning about finding faith in the most unexpected of places. And this time we are learning of finding faith in the story of the Grinch. We've learned a lot about the Grinch, some things we didn't know at all, other things we've reconsidered as we become more, more familiar with this green guy. I assumed before we started this series that most of you knew the story of the Grinch. Before we began, I thought everybody knows who the Grinch is. I have now found out that that assumption was incorrect. There are some people that don't know the story of the Grinch. My mom has never seen the movie, which I thought was strange, but uh, we're gonna take care of that. Assumptions are funny things, aren't they? I've learned that a lot in the past few weeks. I've learned that some of you didn't know who the Grinch was. I've learned that some of you didn't have advent calendars, so hopefully we've taken care of that. Has anyone cheated already and eaten candy out of their advent calendars? You're probably not. It's, it's somebody giving someone, oh, people are looking at each other. Just got real here. All right, no cheating on your advent calendars. Do as I say, not as I do. I've learned that some of you didn't even really have an understanding of what Advent is. I've had some really interesting conversations about um, that, that people were not aware that Advent is an intentional time of waiting, stillness, and preparation, preparing our hearts for the receipt of the Christ child. Some of us just thought it was pre-Christmas, just the days before Christmas, but it's a much holier time. We are learning always, and that is one of my favorite things about the church, is that we are always learning new things. I love that it doesn't matter if you're a brand new student of scripture or if you're a veteran learner. There are always new things to learn about God. See, the trick to lifelong learning is that we have to be open to new ideas, to new understandings of God's word, to new revelations. We need to have certainty in our learning, but not certainty that we are right about everything. Certainty that there will always be more that we can understand, that God can reveal to us. It's funny, I did a study a couple years ago, a group of us did, about 10 people. We studied things that people believe are in the Bible, but are not. It was amazing to me how many of us believe that there are certain things in scripture that just aren't there or aren't exactly there as we would swear that they were in there. So, was there an apple in the garden? Did Eve eat an apple? Maybe, now you're not sure. Now you're like, this is a trick question. You guys are too smart for me. So how many times have we seen paintings or art done of Eve taking a bite from the dreaded apple, bringing down all of humanity, all of mankind, covering us all in sin, all for the bite of an apple, except there wasn't an apple exactly. Scripture says there was fruit. Genesis 3, 6 reads, when the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. So we don't know if it was an apple. We don't know what it was. But sometimes our brains can take things and, and fill them in, or we can just assume the assumptions of those who teach us. 
fruit. It was no more specific than that. So, okay, I have, I, and I asked our Tuesday evening small group this question. How many wise men were there? Aiden? Three, he says with confidence. Anybody want to argue with him? We don't know. Who said we don't know? Richard, you went home and looked it up. You're cheating. <laughs> you said three on Tuesday. <laughs> so we assume that there are three. Matthew chapter 2 reads, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. Later in the gospel, it says that the wise men, the magi, presented Jesus with gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And that's probably where we make the leap that there were three of them because there were three gifts. But we don't really know how many they were. And don't even talk to my mom about when the wise men showed up because she cannot wrap her mind around the fact that they were not at the manger on the night of Jesus' birth. She can't talk about it. So if you ever want to get her going, ask her when the wise men came. Okay, so here's, here's a big one. I want you to finish this phrase. God helps those wrong. <laughs> that, is not, that is like the opposite of the scripture completely. If we could help ourselves, we wouldn't need a savior to begin with. God comes to save us because we cannot help ourselves. I am convinced that that was some frustrated mother who was tired of helping her kid do what he was complete, and I'm, I might be speaking just for myself, but what he was completely capable of doing, and she finally just said, God helps those that help himself. Move on. <laughs> so that phrase has actually been attributed to everything from ancient Greeks to the Koran to Benjamin Franklin. But we know that our help does not come from ourselves, but our help comes from God. Romans 5.8 reminds us that God proved his love for us, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, that we may be reconciled. We could not help ourselves. If you read the Old Testament, God offered time after time after time to God's people, and they failed. Humankind always failed, so Jesus came to be born. There are things in our culture, in our religion, in our lives that we believe to be true. And we are often so sure of our rightness that we won't consider that we might be wrong. We all have blind spots, glaring areas of our lives that we don't see or understand with clarity and with truth. We're in the middle of the Grinch's story right now. He's he has just stolen away all that he believes to be Christmas. In the middle of the night, dressed in his Santa best, not only is he a mean one, but he's a slick one because he's able to lie his way out of being caught. The Grinch is operating out of a blind spot. His belief is that if he can steal away all of the things of Christmas, then he'll be able to stop Christmas from coming, which will end all of his problems. Problem solved. And is often the case when we are 100% certain that we know better, the Grinch was wrong. Did you ever get into an argument with someone and about halfway through you realize you're wrong, but now you're in too deep? It's too late. And so you dig in because 
you know, they don't know yet. How many times have we all acted as the Grinch in our life? Never, right, John? Never. How many times have we been 100% certain that we understood our problem and we knew the best way to fix it only to find out that we didn't understand a thing and we missed the mark by a mile? See, the Grinch is bothered by Christmas. So he attacks the things of Christmas. He doesn't understand the story behind it, the meaning behind it. He's, he's chipping away at the tip of an iceberg, not understanding the depth that lies below. We have two distinct contrasts to study today. We have the Grinch, who didn't take a moment to pause and consider if what he was doing would truly address his problem. The Grinch didn't even take a moment to wonder what his problem truly was. His problem wasn't Christmas at all. The Grinch was trying to ease the symptoms of his unhappiness without addressing the true cause. I know this is a fictional character, a cartoon even, but I would bet that we could all think of times where we have tried to take on the reins of our problems, where we have come at it with every fix-it patch that we can, every even unbelievable solution, without stopping to ponder what it is that we're fixing. Then we hear our scripture reading for today. We once again hear the story of the angel foretelling of Jesus' birth. And we see a very human Mary, young Mary, who was overcome by the angel's greeting and who was confused and concerned by what this would mean for her. That was her limited human vision at work. Mary receives the angel's prediction of pregnancy and the coming Messiah with fear, but also with a pondering faith. Mary believed the miraculous announcement. She had faith in what the angel said. It did, though, cause her to ponder. But who wouldn't ponder such a proclamation? The difference between Mary and the rest of us and the Grinch, for that matter, when faced with a moment of blindness, when we don't understand what lies before us, many of us go into fix-it mode. We see it in all of humanity. We see this take charge response in biblical figures such as Abraham and Sarah who crafted plans to manufacture an heir while they waited the 25 years it took for God to fulfill his promise. We see it in ourselves as we try to craft plan after plan to manufacture our futures rather than waiting in pondering faith to see God move. Verse 35 in our reading today states, the power of the most high will overshadow you. Do you feel the power of those words? The power of the most high will overshadow you. God oversees our lives. We live in the shadow of God's power, yet we so often believe that we're outside of even the sight of God outside of the reach of God. And like the Grinch who felt outside of the reach of Christmas, we blindly muddle through plan after plan that we have concocted 
to address our problems, but are we really chipping away at the very tip of the iceberg without understanding the depth? Christians, we are called to believe in the miraculous. This scripture tells us plainly, nothing will be impossible with God. In the midst of all that is broken within us, God sent Jesus. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he sent his only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. It doesn't say we'll have easy life. We'll have eternal life. God so loved the world, the world, all of humanity, that he became man to dwell among us, to live our lives, to feel our hurts, to die our deaths. Mary was a young woman in a hated town, hated by the Jews because the region of Galilee was seen as Gentile-friendly. Nazareth itself was hated because it was seen as inferior. We hear that later when they say, can anything good come of Nazareth? The people of Nazareth of Galilee were hated by everyone equally. And in a place known for being hated, God found a faith-filled Mary whose heart was ready to ponder the miracles of God, not understanding them fully, but covering her own blindness with faith. From the most unexpected of places and the most unbelievable of people, God would bring forth a miracle, the birth of Jesus the Christ. Prophecies would be fulfilled, humanity would be redeemed, hearts would be changed. And we as humankind are only asked to believe that with God all things are possible. We are directed, we are expected to believe in God and in God's power, regardless of our own circumstances, our place in life, the town we come from, the job we have, the insecurities we hold, the infirmities we face. See, that, that is the heart of the Christmas story. That's the heart that needs to grow within you, maybe three sizes that God makes the impossible possible. And our response to the impossibilities that God presents should be exactly like Mary's simple one-sentence response to the angel. Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. This young girl, here am I, let it be with me. We cannot understand the depth of this statement. Think of her position. She was saying yes to becoming an unwed mother with a pregnancy that she would not be able to explain. Would Joseph understand? Would he secure a divorce, which we know he was thinking of? They were in a period of espousal. To separate would mean he would have to divorce her and she would bear the consequences. Yet she says, here am I, let it be with me. Would she be killed? Because that was the punishment for adultery when you were in this year-long period. If it was determined that she had committed adultery because she couldn't explain her pregnancy, she could be stoned. Yet she says, 
here am I. Let it be with me. Joseph could leave her. Her family could disown her. She would have no one. Here am I. Let it be with me. Mary chose faith. Not complete understanding, but faith. Mary chose faith in the God that would make all things possible. I know she had worries. It tells us she had things to ponder, but she chose faith in the God who found favor with her. The God who was always with her before, now, and for always. Mary chose faith in the unfathomable. And just as Jesus grew within her, God dwells within each of us. And through the power of God, we can face the unimaginable, the unfathomable, the unexplainable, the terrifying, the disappointing. And we can say, here am I. Let it be with me. And we will lean forward in faith toward the future that God calls us to, not necessarily the one we've crafted, the one that God calls us to. This Christmas, we will remember that love came down, that love became a person into the strangest of places and the most unremarkable of people to change the world forever. Let us ponder those things in our hearts. And may those ponderings cause our hearts to grow. And all God's people said, amen. Let us continue our worship in an attitude of prayer.